This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. While our team of tax pros are well-versed in all things tax, our areas of expertise include rental real estate and equity compensation. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. At Capital Area Tax Consultants, we believe in pricing transparency and flat fees. Before engaging with us, you'll receive an upfront quote in black and white with a description of any services to be performed. This way, there are no hidden surprises. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com. Welcome to the Tech Money Podcast, where the worlds of technology and personal finance collide. Hosted by certified financial planner, speaker, blogger, and self-proclaimed personal finance nerd, Malcolm Etheridge. Each episode aims to make you just a little bit smarter about your money, all from the perspective of the tech professional. Without further delay, here's your host. Hey there, listeners, Malcolm here. And on today's show, we're talking about estate planning, but not just in the context of which documents do what. We're going to explore the ways that applying some of the most basic estate planning techniques can help you on the road to building generational wealth. When we use the term generational wealth, what we're referring to is the phenomenon of assets being passed down from one generation to the next within a family. And when done correctly, these transfers often occur with minimal taxes paid by the inheritors. We all know the statistics around how difficult it is to maintain wealth within a family from one generation to the next. In fact, about 70% of wealthy families lose their wealth by the second generation and 90% do by the third. One reason this happens is that the next generation may not be equipped to manage the money they inherit. However, it's also true that family wealth can be diluted as it is divided against children and other heirs, especially if each has a different stance on how to invest or manage their individual finances. So I thought it would be a good idea to bring on an estate planner who eats, sleeps, and breathes this stuff for a living to have a conversation on not only building generational wealth, but also how to protect and keep it once you have it. So Elsa W. Smith is an accomplished attorney, recently voted a super lawyer by her peers and colleagues, and is the founder and principal of the law offices of Elsa W. Smith. Elsa has been featured in several publications, been interviewed on radio shows, has also done some television, hosts a YouTube series of her own dedicated to providing the community with free information on wills, estate planning, and startup business topics. And so with that brief introduction, welcome Elsa W. Smith to the Tech Money Podcast. Thank you, Malcolm. It is such a pleasure to join you today. Yeah, no, I appreciate you making the time and I I breeze through your resume pretty quickly there uh, in my intro, but what did I miss that I should have mentioned? Well, one thing and something I'm very proud of is my heritage. I am of Afro-Cuban descent. I'm a native Spanish speaker. And as you said, you correctly said that my practice is focused on estate planning, but specifically the mission of my firm is to empower women through estate planning. I studied statistics and about wills in the, particularly in communities of color. 
Mm -hmm. And I've read research on the billions, that's with a B, that have been lost by a lack of planning. And that's what drives me. And that's why I'm so passionate about empowering women. I even recently launched a Facebook and YouTube a live series called Women Winning Wednesdays. It airs every Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. Mm -hmm. And the focus in, in alignment with the mission of the firm, it's to highlight or spotlight women who are excelling in fields, of course, that are complementary to what I do in estate planning. So finance, but also health and wellness. We talk about their struggles, but also leave the people that are listening with hope. Because I think that in, in the estate planning world, quite frankly, it's very vanilla, right? And I wanted, I wanted a venue, I wanted a platform that really spoke to people who look like me. And that's really the challenge. And I know that we can get into that through, throughout our conversation. Well, um, you're kind of going in a direction I, I wanted to start off in anyway, which is okay. how you got into this business, right? Did you go to law school straight away knowing that was uh, estate planning was the direction you wanted to go? Or was it some like serendipitous moment that made the choice for you? And, and I asked specifically because there's not many black and brown attorneys working in estate planning, right? As you were sort of alluding to there, there's right. not a ton of women who are in that space, go figure, right? And so just curious how you even got into the estate planning specialization. Well, I knew that I wanted to be a lawyer since I was 13 years old. And I grew up, and I'm sure I'm dating myself, but I grew up watching LA Law and Perry Mason. So mm -hmm. that was my initial inspiration. And once I uh, became a lawyer, and for the 20 plus years thereafter, my journey was not was not a neat one. <laughs> I would say yeah. it's not a straight shot. It was more of really finding what I didn't like and really a, a path of self-discovery and sure. trying to find what was more in alignment with what, you know, and who I am. So fast forward, I mean, I, I went to school in Florida, graduated from the University of Miami Law School. And fast forward, when I relocated to Maryland, which is where I am now, I met my husband, estate planning came to me as a way of really serving the community in a way that gave me true satisfaction and was mm -hmm. really in alignment with what I wanted to do was just reach a wider group of people. I mean, I practice in other areas. I even did criminal defense sure. uh, for a while and people were like, what? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was traveling to prisons and all that stuff. It was a, a different lifestyle. And I as I went about, there are people who knew what I did for a living and like, oh, if you do something else, like, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I, I mean, I in my circle, there are lots of professional folks and folks that have money and need help to know what to do with it. And, Listen, um, I get it. Right. I, you, went, you went to the U <laughs> at the right time also, right? Like I look at somebody like a Drew Rosenhaus that's well into the athletic management, like performance side of that managing multi multi-million dollars 
on behalf of his classmates from Miami, right? Mm-hmm. And so I know you have a ton of people, right, having walked walk through those halls who are like, yeah, you could be doing other things other than <laughs> going into prisons to defend folks and, and maybe getting those invoices covered when you send them out and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. So I get it, but sure. But so, so let's get into it. Let's dig into the, the conversation at hand a little bit. Now I'll, I'll start with one that's a very common question that I get from my own clients when talking estate planning pretty regularly, which is just, what's the difference between a will and trust? And then beyond that, why do I need a trust if I already have a will? Sure. Now, wills and trusts serve, they serve different purposes. And whether Mm -hmm. you choose to have one or the other or both, it's a matter of figuring out what your needs are and choosing the tool that's going to best serve those needs. And I tell people that estate planning is not cookie cutter at all. And if that's what you want, you're obviously in the wrong place. So um, at least that's not the way I practice. So a will, let's start with that. Uh, It's a document that establishes the distribution of your estate. Now, what is an estate? It's all your stuff. It's everything Mm -hmm. that you own. People get all weirded out with an estate and they think that like, oh, it's billions, it's Jeff Bezos money. No, it's all the stuff you own, right? So the will outlines exactly what you want to happen with your assets with your stuff it covers uh everything it defines who's going to receive uh property at your death it also appoints legal representatives in maryland we we call them personal representatives other jurisdictions Mm -hmm. can uh, call them executor that might be a term you might be familiar with it also will also provides for guardians of minor children, which is mm-hmm. really important with the families that, that I serve. They also can designate specific specific gifts that you know that you want to leave to friends or loved ones or institutions. And unlike a trust that go a trust goes into effect as soon as it's created, a will goes into effect once a person dies. Now yep. Looking to a trust is used to manage assets during a person's life. It is used uh, quite often to try to avoid the probate process, and we'll get into that in a minute, to minimize or eliminate taxes. It's used to plan for long-term care. And it also, and this is something that I really want to push, particularly in, in communities of color, is to facilitate charitable giving. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's also used to protect beneficiaries. Now, a trust is just a tool. It's a legal tool that covers only the property that's transferred into it. Right. And the the property can be distributed before or after death. Right. One type of trust and one that's common is the revocable living trust. Right. And that's created when a person's alive. And then it can be changed throughout that person's lifetime. It becomes irrevocable once the person dies, right? Sure. Um, well, with, so before uh, we yeah, get into ahead, too ahead. much of the mechanics of how it actually operates and that sort of thing, you were going a different direction that I, I want to make sure that we get clear too, which was the probate process. Because you started down that road and I want to make sure that we give sort of all of the options that are available to you, right? A way that I frame the conversation when I talk to clients is 
whether you put pen to paper or not, you do have an estate plan. The key difference is just whether you choose to follow the state's plan for your assets when you pass or whether you'd like to create your own. Right. And when I say the state's plan, what I'm referring to is the probate process. Right. So can you say a little bit about the probate process, what it entails and that sort of thing? Absolutely. The probate process, just to take the, the mystery out of it, it's the court oversight of the administration of the assets in your estate. In a nutshell, that's what it is. If, as I just mentioned, a trust is a way of avoiding that. Now, the process of probate is it involves the court appointing someone, a personal representative, to, mm -hmm. to take on the task of marshalling all the assets that you own, bank accounts, all that stuff. And then if there's a will, then distributing, distributing those assets according to the will. If there's not a will, then that's what's called dying intestate, yeah. right? And as you said, that's the state's plan. And depending on the makeup of your family, that will determine, and the state's rules on who gets half, who gets a third and so forth. The state already has that laid out. So as you correctly noted, if you don't have a plan, the state will. And that's why it's really imperative for people just to just be proactive, be intentional. You're working so hard to accumulate wealth. Mm -hmm. You're accumulating, you've got these 401ks, the TSPs, if you're in the government, you've got all these investments, you've got real property, investment properties he, in your own state. And some people, you know, I, I, I mentioned that I'm in Maryland, but I've got a number of folks have got investment properties down in the Carolinas, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's making sure that all of those assets are accounted for in your plan so as to avoid the probate process. Now, you know how I usually convince people? I let them know what's in Aretha Franklin's estate. Like I can catalog for you exactly what Aretha Franklin owned at the time she passed away. I can also catalog for you at the exactly what Prince owned at the time he passed away. There's absolutely no way in this world I should know what those people own and what they passed to whom, right? But the reason I can tell you that line for line is because those people died and tested and their assets were fought over in public court and all of the information when the state decides that they're going to take your estate through the pro probate process, it's a public process. And so now I get to know what my neighbor across the street left to his or her kids or grandkids or whomever. And that right there is enough usually to make people say, you know what? I probably should do something. I don't want my business in the streets out here. That's usually how I'm able to frame it in a way that it's relatable to people, why it's not the plan that they want to go down. But anyway, so you were making a distinction between like having a, a trust that is uh, revocable versus irrevocable. And I, I cut yeah, you off I for mean, that diversion. And, and so let's clear that up for a second. Sure. No, no problem. But I want to actually go back to something you said, because okay. regarding people's preferences of having their business out in, in the herd in the public square, if you will. Estate planning, in my experience and the countless people that, that I've served, their preferences are really, their priorities are really very different and they vary. There are some people who 
they just want the basics. You just give mm -hmm. me, give me a will and all the other documents to give me like a basic level of protection. Now, for most law firms, a trust-based package does give you a higher level of protection that also requires a, a, a larger investment. And some people are not ready to make that, and that's fine for now. But like I tell them, an estate plan needs to evolve as your needs change. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, what may not be good for you right now may be good for you maybe in like two years or stuff if your situation changes. But my emphasis is to get people to, to put, a, put pen to paper through us to get a basic plan in order. The ideal, yes, would be to, for most people, would be to move assets and have them in the trust so that you're minimizing um, or eliminating the need to go into the probate process. You're also saving yourself, yes, I'm an attorney, but I'll, I'll say that you're saving yourself attorney's fees as well. So that's a definite plus of using a trust-based protection sure. package. So, so that's, that's definitely a, an advantage. Let's go into that further for a second then. So you mentioned, like we keep talking about this term of trust, right? But the average person to a point you made before probably thinks of the term trust or trust fund or that sort of thing as something that's reserved exclusively for those whose last names are Gates or Walton or Bezos or whatever, right? It, it's not necessarily something the average person, no matter how well off they are, thinks of as something that is for them. So you got to it. The trust is basically just this well-crafted document that lays out specifics for how assets are to be treated with or without you being here. But what am I actually coming to the attorney to have them draft, right? Like I know inside of the trust, right? I can have assets that, that I own and it's up to me to determine which assets go into the trust and which don't and that sort of stuff. But can you say a little bit more? I think I'm still missing something on the record here as far as the dynamics of why I even need this trust document to begin with, why a will won't do what I need it to do. A lot of times will is used in conjunction with uh, trust. If we're talking about a trust-based level of protection, what, it, okay, let me even step back even further. Mm -hmm. You're moving assets, you're retitling assets yep. into the trust so that yep. now the trust is the owner of that asset and not you even though you are the grantor you're the one that's funding yep. the trust is the one that owns the asset that provides a certain level of creditor uh, protection for your mm -hmm. beneficiaries so that's a definite plus of moving those assets into moving those assets into a trust the problem and here's a pain point is that we can create the trust for you mm -hmm. and we even give you specific instructions on funding the trust but if you don't it's just a shell it means mm -hmm. nothing you will have paid us thousands of dollars to create this potentially powerful document and you've not taken that last step to get it over the get it over the the, the finish line of actually funding the trust it is a meaningless document unless it is properly uh, funded now what 
most responsible attorneys uh, will do is to start you off in the process. And if they're creating a trust for you, they may, as part of a package, maybe transfer one asset or two assets to get you started. But it is imperative that if you actually create a trust that it is properly funded, otherwise it's meaningless. And guess what? You're going to end up in probate, which is what you were trying to avoid in the first place. So, so it would have been all for naught. So I know what you're referring to, but I want to make sure that I make this as, as plain and as simple as possible, right? So when you say funding the trust, what does that actually mean in, in practical terms? Like, what am I technically doing to fund this trust? Great question. It means retitling mm -hmm. assets into the, it, it, to, to, so that the trust is the owner. So that can mean uh, a piece of property instead of you being on, on the title, it's actually the trust that is the owner of that property. So I own a that, that. I own property in North Carolina, like you were saying. So I own property in North Carolina. And right now it's tied to my individual name and my individual social security number. However, by funding this trust, what I'm essentially doing is retitling the deed of that property from my name individually, Malcolm Etheridge, into the name of the trust, the Malcolm Etheridge Living Trust. And now the trust owns that asset so that when I pass away, it goes into the hands or the grip of the trust itself, not my individual estate. Did I get it right? It, it goes to who, whatever beneficiaries you designate in the trust and Got according it. to whatever instructions you have outlined in the trust. But once you transfer it into the trust as the owner of it, yep. you as the grantor, and, and what happens most often is that I create a trust, I fund it, and even though it, it's still my trust, but the trust is the owner of it, even though I can move assets in and out of it. And as I mentioned before, once you die, the trust becomes irrevocable. No, it, it cannot be, it cannot be changed. But a trust has a lot of advantages. It takes a little longer on the front end to create thus the, the reason why it costs more than having a basic will package. But depending on what your goals are, if you have assets that you want to move into the trust, if you want to facilitate the transfer to beneficiaries, make it a, a more stress-free, less expensive for the estate to do that, it's better to make that investment on the front end. You're telling me one of the last times you and I talked about this, you were talking about like the mess that people leave for their heirs by not by failing to plan, so to speak. Like, can you just say a little bit about like what that mess even looks like? Well, I can even start from the point shortly after an individual passes away after someone dies and there is mm -hmm. no plan. How many times have you seen GoFundMe campaigns on social mm -hmm. media mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. there isn't enough set aside for, for funeral arrangements? So let's sure. start there. And that sends a family potentially into turmoil, chaos. They're already grieving your loss. So on top of that, you you've, haven't planned. You haven't set anything aside. You, they don't even know 
how you want to be memorialized. Do you want to be buried? Do you want to be cremated? And cremation, by the way, is, is a thing. And more and more people are going, choosing that route, but no one knows. So that there's that. Now, since we were just talking about probate, you don't have a plan. Guess what? Everything's going into probate. Now, mm -hmm. someone in your family, if you have, for example, adult kids, one of those kids, if, if not your spouse, might be appointed to serve as personal representative. That's a mm -hmm. huge task. Again, no will, no guidance. They weren't prepared that you never had discussions with the family about what you wanted to happen to your assets. And this, I can't stress enough the importance of having at least a fundamental plan in place because it has, not having one has the potential to really shatter families. I mean, there mm -hmm. are families that have gone through the probate process that just refuse to speak to each other, yeah. just awful things that have happened. And it's so unnecessary if we just, if we're intentional and we have some planning in place. Just to now you're really touching on one of the pain points that I, as a planner, find myself bumping up against, right? One of the common conversations I find myself having with older, wealthier clients is around how and when they intend to have the money conversation with their children, right? So often, like they won't want to share the details with their adult kids of exactly how much they stand to inherit. And there's a ton of good reasons why parents might want to keep this information close to the vest, right? I'm not attacking anybody, but I'd also argue that they run the risk of setting their kids up for failure whenever they do ultimately receive those assets, right? So to your point, you've got all these different personalities, you've got all these different attitudes and thoughts around how to do things and that sort of thing. And it just creates tragedy. I hate to say it that way. And in, in some cases where it wasn't properly defined, which kid was going to be the executor and why, or which person was going to be responsible for what and why, and just letting the kids know that's mom and dad's intentions. And that's the way it is rather than everybody finds it all out at the same time and is left to kind of fight over it. Have you had much success in bringing multiple generations to the table when having these discussions and designing an estate plan for folks? It's challenging and you touched on a point that I actually addressed in a video not too long ago, but this is, it, it, the situation is slightly different. It's when you're, a, you're an adult child and you are trying to talk to your parents about an estate plan because the stats show, I mean, and it's horrible that particularly in communities of color, I mean, the figures are like 70% are without a will. It's, it's outrageous. So the, we start there. How do we get the folks that they have property and many of them have homes that are paid off? And how do we approach them to say, mom and dad, you really need to think about a will. Now, the challenge there is, and, and this is anecdotal evidence, the parents are like, okay, you're just waiting for me to die so you can get your hands on what I, you know, <laughs> right. what we've worked so hard to build. And the child is like, well, how do I approach my parents? So to, to underscore the need for an estate plan. And what my suggestion was, first of all, you need to approach your parents from a place of respect. 
and mm-hmm. honor. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, right? And you want to say that, look, it's not about the money. It's about honoring your legacy. So you have worked 30, 40, 50, 60 years and you've accumulated all of this. You don't want the last chapter of your life to be in chaos and confusion. So help us to honor you the way you deserve to be honored, right? So when you come to them in, from that space, that helps the conversation. Now, to go to your example of, let's say that, let's say the parents do have a plan mm-hmm. and, or they've got something in place and they need to talk to their kids. First of all, that's something that in, in, in our communities and communities of color, we don't do that enough. We need to start normalizing the conversations regarding financing, regarding finances and investing. And because other communities are doing this and they're running circles around us, right? We need to bring that conversation to the dinner table. We need to start talking to our young people when, say, they're even before before they graduate from high school, teach them concepts, good, healthy concepts of saving, right? And then once they're about to enter the workforce, other communities are sitting, they're sitting at their dinner table saying, hey, let me, I'm going to introduce you to my banker, or I'm going to introduce you to my finance guy or lady, right? To help you start your start saving for retirement are we having those conversations not enough it strikes me as you're saying that because it's safe to assume that the folks who inherit millions or even hundreds of thousands of dollars likely know less about money and less about investing than somebody who saved their way to a million dollars right so we're talking about gen one passing assets to gen two again right as i mentioned in my intro and so it just strikes me that you would want to help get them up to speed sooner than later in order to help prevent all of your hard work, as you mentioned, your 30, 40, 50, 60 year career and your discipline saving from going in the trash. So one of the things that I always try and point out to people when I get you know too much pushback on this topic and I'm talking to an attorney, so I'll give a disclaimer here, right? I'm not giving, neither one of us are giving anybody tax advice in this or giving anybody legal advice in this, right? This podcast is built to close the information gap. So we're really just having this conversation for educational purposes. But I always make sure that I let people know what they stand to give to the IRS if they Mm. don't do things this way. So we're talking about like not wanting to let your kids know exactly how much is there. I have trouble sometimes getting people to name beneficiaries on retirement accounts, right? And so one way that I've figured out to come combat that it's to just show them on paper, right? If you were to pass away tomorrow, God forbid, because there's no beneficiary named on this particular thing, this is how much the state is going to take before whoever is your next of kin, your heirs, receive anything. And that tends to kind of perk people's uh, ears up a little bit more to say, I don't want all my hard work and and I've already paid taxes, right? I don't want that to go to back to the irs or back to the state and so maybe that kind of pushes me to to do that so that's another one that i've i've found kind of gets people motivated and and moving and in that sort of thing but 
And Malcolm, let me touch, yeah, let me touch on before, because you raised a really good point in in my world in terms of what happens to, say, that million-dollar investment, whether it's life insurance or a mutual fund or, or what have you, if there's no beneficiary. Guess what? That, instead of going directly to the beneficiary, doesn't have mm-hmm. to be named in the will at all. It goes through probate unnecessarily. So that's an, that's another aspect that people have to understand. I, I stress the importance of not only naming a beneficiary, but updating those beneficiaries. Mm-hmm. Put eyes on your investments, whether whatever investment house you, you choose to have your investments in, but put eyes on those documents, put eyes uh, on your in, insurance policies and your overall plan. One thing that we do at our office, we it's a complimentary service that we offer to our clients is every couple of years, we give them a courtesy call. We don't want yeah. anything, just want to make sure if anything's changed, any births, deaths, acquisitions of new property that may necessitate maybe tweaking an estate plan. If not, be well. We'll talk to you in two years. But at yeah. least it raises that awareness that you need to just make this a, a regular, you need to make it a habit to constantly check your estate plan. That's a good message to to drive home. And I guess by making that courtesy call, you're reinforcing just how important it is, right? That I'm taking time out. My staff is taking time out to make this call or send this email because that's how much we actually care that you're doing it. But, you know, so I started this off the way I want to finish it, right? So I talked about Gen 1 passing assets to Gen 2 and the slippage that happens in between there, right? We've talked about a couple of the reasons why that happens and some things we can do to keep that from happening, right? Is there anything else from a tactical perspective that Gen 1, so mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, whoever, can employ to make sure that Gen 2 and 3 and 4 and so on don't lose it all by betting it on Bitcoin, right? So talking for a minute about the the spendthrift kid is the phrase that we use in this business. But, you know, the one who's going to blow through it like it's water. What are some yeah. of the ways that you design this family's plan to help keep that in check? Well, first of all, let me g- give a real world example of what spendthrift, a spendthrift kid is or a child is, because a lot of times Please. that term, term just goes over people's head. Consider if you have a, you have a son and that son is unfortunately addicted to drugs or alcohol and is overall pretty irresponsible with money. You do not want to disinherit your son, but you also understand that if you leave him a million dollars, he's not, he's has the potential of doing damage, not only to himself, but to others by blowing it in a weekend in Cancun. So the tool, a tool that we use as estate planners is called a spendthrift trust. And that's, it can be baked into, into the will. And what Mm -hmm. it is, you're designating an individual, a trustee to manage a set, to manage whatever amounts you put into that trust for the benefit of that wayward son. You can designate a frequency 
in which distributions are to be made. You can also put conditions and you have to check with your state to, to see what conditions are, are, are lawful and what are not. But hmm. for example, the requirement of maintaining gainful employment, uh, requirement of attending you know, school or achieving some sort of higher education. You can put those kinds of conditions in that trust. And then you can also designate a time when the balance of the trust will be dispersed to that individual. So a real world example, X percent of the trust it released at like age 21, then 25, 30, and then either at 30 or 40, that individual is entitled to the balance of the trust. And that way you're, you're, you can have the comfort in knowing that at least that individual will have a cushion and they're not going to be living under a bridge somewhere sure. because they blew it all. So, so that's definitely a tool. So there, there are lots of tools in estate planning to address the many different family dynamics that there are. I mean, some people feel, oh, well, I'm just going to disinherit him. Well, we know you love your son, but let's think of some creative options. You can't fix your son by waving a magic wand, but there are tools in the estate planning world that you can use to at least give a certain level of protection to that son. Sometimes what I say, and I did a video on this, it's like spendthrift trust, how to save people from themselves, because Lord knows there's some people that just, you know, they just don't have the skill set to manage money. Yeah. That's why spendthrift trusts were created. Fair enough. Well, I certainly appreciate you you sharing that and answering my my questions on how we can sort of prevent the slippage that we've been talking about from happening. And my last question has absolutely nothing to do with estate planning. So you can take a deep <laughs> breath and relax your shoulders a little bit. But if you never became an attorney, right, never found your passion for helping people get their affairs in order and uh, all that kind of stuff, but money wasn't a factor in your decision at all, what do you think you'd be doing right now? Wow. Don't laugh, but I actually wanted to build, and they're probably not in, in fashion anymore, but like a charm school for disadvantaged hmm. girls. And I, because I, that, that, I love mentoring. And because I grew up in the inner city, the and, giving back to your community. <laughs> no, I, I, the, char the charm school aspect. Oh, of I see. It. I see. Okay. Okay. <laughs> But, no, um, that, but that's yeah. admirable. Like how in the world could we, could we laugh at that? That, yeah. Anyway, that, that's thanks, something Elsa. that's, this... a, that's a sweet spot for me of uh, mentoring and, and giving back. You know, it's really important to me. And one thing, since we're wrapping up, I just want to stress the importance of planning and how our, our communities of color need to, to be intentional. If we have mm -hmm. any hope at all of not only saving this generation, but of mar of shoring up assets for future generations, we mm -hmm. have to be proactive and we have to be intentional. I'll leave with a quote from a colleague. I've never had the pleasure of meeting her, but she is a fellow estate planning and probate attorney, Lori Ann Douglas. She's famous for saying, we used to be the assets, now we have the assets. Wow. I, on that note, um, Sure, plenty of folks are listening to this, given our audience will want to reach out to you. Where can people find you if they want more Elsa after this? 
Wonderful. I, I They can reach out to me. I'm all over social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, at Elsa, E-L-S-A, W Smith Law, Elsa at Elsa W. Smith Law. They can reach me on my website, elsawsmithlaw.com. They can do it the old-fashioned way and call my office at 410-995-7719, 410-995-7719. Like we mentioned during the conversation, I have a growing YouTube channel with free educational content. We are really growing with the Women Winning Wednesdays live series and really excited about that. So there are many opportunities to get free information and for people to connect with me. So thank you so much, Malcolm, for this opportunity. It's been a real joy uh, and a pleasure speaking with you. Happy to do it. Well, Eric with an A, why don't you go ahead and close us out, sir? Absolutely. Elsa, what incredible, valuable information. Thank you so much for being on the show. And of course, Malcolm, thank you for facilitating this and bringing her to the show. And our last thank you always goes to you, listening audience. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Tech Money Podcast with Malcolm Etheridge. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Malcolm comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your colleagues. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Tech Money, our hope is that this show helped make you a little smarter about your money. This has been the Tech Money Podcast. For more information on today's topic, to review the show notes, or to catch up on past episodes, be sure to check out malcolmetheridge.com slash podcast. And if you have an idea for a show topic that you'd like us to cover, or you want to send us feedback, the web address again is malcolmetheridge.com. You can also find Malcolm across all social media platforms at Malcolm on Money. This episode was written and created by Malcolm Etheridge, with the production, the editing and sound controls powered by top advisor marketing, Crowdmouth. This has been a Malcolm on Money original. Thank you for listening. The information shared in this recording and by its guests represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not represent the views or opinions of the host. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This content is not, nor is it intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. It is always recommended that you seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your personal financial situation. This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. Our team of certified public accountants and enrolled agents is well-versed in the latest tax laws, ensuring that you capitalize on every opportunity for strategic tax optimization. We anticipate changes and keep you up to date on opportunities to potentially reduce your tax bill in the future. With a focus on precision and strategic planning, we are your trusted partner both during tax season and throughout the year. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com.